Section 5 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Conclusion of Chapter 4 Tis very observable that this storm blew from the same quarter as the last, and that they had less of it northward than here, in which they were very much alike. Now, as these storms were perhaps very furious in some places, yet they neither came up to the violence of this, nor any way to be compared for the extent, and when ruinous in one county, were hardly heard of in the next. But this terrible night shook all Europe, and how much farther it extended, he only knows who has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. As this storm was first felt from the west, some have conjectured that the first generation, or rather collection of materials, was from the continent of America, possibly from that part of Florida and Virginia where, if we respect natural causes, the confluence of vapours raised by the sun from the vast and unknown lakes and inland seas of water, which as some relate are incredibly large as well as numerous, might afford sufficient matter for the exhalation, and where time adding to the preparation, God, who has generally confined his providence to the chain of natural causes, might muster together those troops of combustion till they made a sufficient army duly proportioned to the expedition designed. I am the rather inclined to this opinion, because we are told they felt upon that coast an unusual tempest a few days before the fatal 27th of November. I confess I have never studied the motion of the clouds so nicely as to calculate how long time this army of terror might take up in its furious march. Possibly the velocity of its motion might not be so great at its first setting out as it was afterward, as a horse that is to run a race does not immediately put himself into the height of his speed, and though it may be true that by the length of the way the force of the wind spins itself, and so by degrees ceases as the vapour finds more room for dilation, besides, yet we may suppose a conjunction of some confederate matter which might fall in with it by the way, or which meeting it at its arrival here might join forces in executing the commission received from above, all natural causes being allowed a subserviency to the direction of the great supreme cause. Yet where the vast collection of matter had its first motion, as it did not take all motion in one and the same moment, so when the parts had felt the influence as they advanced 
and press those before them, the violence must increase in proportion, and thus we may conceive that the motion might not have arrived at its meridian violence till it reached our island, and even then it blew some days with more than common fury, yet much less than that last night of its force, and even that night the violence was not at its extremity till about an hour before sunrise, and then it continued declining, though it blew a full storm for four days after it. Thus Providence, by whose special direction the quantity and conduct of this judgment was managed, seemed to proportion things so, as that by the course of things the proportion of matter being suited to distance of place, the motion should arrive at its full force, just at the place where its execution was to begin. As then our island was the first, this way, to receive the impressions of the violent motion, it had the terriblest effects here, and continuing its steady course, we find it carried a true line clear over the continent of Europe, traversed England, France, Germany, the Baltic Sea, and passing the northern continent of Sweden, Finland, Muscovy, and part of Tartary, must at last lose itself in the vast northern ocean, where man never came, and ship never sailed, and its violence could have no effect but upon the vast mountains of ice and the huge drifts of snow, in which abyss of moisture and cold, it is very probable the force of it was checked, and the world restored to calmness and quiet, and in this circle of fury it might find its end not far off from where it had its beginning, the fierceness of the motion perhaps not arriving to a period, till having passed the pole, it reached again the northern parts of America. The effects of this impetuous course are the proper subjects of this book, and what they might be before our island felt its fury, who can tell? Those unhappy wretches who had the misfortune to meet it in its first approach can tell us little having been hurried by its irresistible force directly into eternity. How many they are, we cannot pretend to give an account. We are told of about seventeen ships, which, having been out at sea, are never heard of, which is the common way of discourse of ships foundered in the ocean. And indeed, all we can say of them is the fearful exit they have made among the mountains of waters can only be duly reflected on by those who have seen those wonders of God in the deep. Yet I cannot omit here to observe that this loss was in all probability much less than it would otherwise have been, because the winds having blown with very great fury, 
at the same point for near fourteen days before the violence grew to its more uncommon height all those ships which were newly gone to sea were forced back of which some were driven into plymouth and falmouth who had been above a hundred and fifty leagues at sea others which had been farther took sanctuary in ireland on the other hand all those ships which were homeward bound and were within five hundred leagues of the english shore had been hurried so furiously on afore it as the seamen say that they had reached their port before the extremity of the storm came on so that the sea was as it were swept clean of all shipping those which were coming home were blown home before their time those that had attempted to put to sea were driven back again in spite of all their skill and courage for the wind had blown so very hard directly into the channel that there was no possibility of their keeping the sea whose course was not right afore the wind on the other hand these two circumstances had filled out all our ports with unusual fleets of ships either just come home or outward bound and consequently the loss among them was very terrible and the havoc it made among them though it was not so much as everybody expected was such as no age or circumstance can ever parallel and we hope will never feel again nay so high the winds blew even before that we call the storm that had not that intolerable tempest followed so soon after we should have counted those winds extraordinary high and any one may judge of the truth of this from these very few particulars that the russia fleet composed of near a hundred sail which happened to be then upon the coast was absolutely dispersed and scattered some got into newcastle some into hull and some into yarmouth roads two foundered in the sea one or two more run ashore and were lost and the reserve frigate their convoy foundered in yarmouth roads all her men being lost and no boat from the shore durst go off to relieve her though it was in the daytime but all her men perished in the same previous storms the man-of-war was lost off of harwich but by the help of smaller vessels most of her men were saved and so high the winds blew for near a fortnight that no ship stirred out of harbour and all the vessels great or small that were out at sea made for some port or other for shelter in this juncture of time it happened that together with the russia fleet a great fleet of laden colliers near four hundred sail were just put out of the river tyne and these being generally deep and unwieldy ships met with hard measure though not so fatal to them as was expected 
some of them as could run in for Humber, where a great many were lost afterwards, as I shall relate in its course. Some got shelter under the highlands of Cromer, and the northern shores of the county of Norfolk, and the greater number reached into Yarmouth Roads. So that when the great storm came, our ports round the sea-coast of England were exceeding full of ships of all sorts, a brief account whereof take as follows. At Grimsby, Hull, and the other roads of the Humber, lay about eighty sail, great and small, of which about fifty were colliers, and part of the Russia fleet, as aforesaid. In Yarmouth roads, there rode at least four hundred sail, being most of them laid in colliers, Russia men, and coasters from Lynn and Hull. In the river of Thames, at the Nore, lay about twelve sail of Queen's hired ships and store ships, and only two men of war. Sir Cloudsley Shovel was just arrived from the Mediterranean with the Royal Navy. Part of them lay at St. Helens, part in the Downs, and with twelve of the biggest ships he was coming round the foreland to bring them into Chatham, and when the great storm began was at an anchor at the gun-fleet, from whence the association was driven off from sea as far as the coast of Norway. What became of the rest, I refer to a chapter by itself. At Gravesend there rode five East India men, and about thirty sail of other merchantmen, all outward bound. In the Downs, one hundred and sixty sail of merchant ships outward bound, besides the part of the fleet which came in with Sir Cloudsley Shovel, which consisted of about eighteen men of war, with tenders and victuallers. At Portsmouth and Cowes there lay three fleets. First, a fleet of transports and tenders, who with Admiral Dilks brought the forces from Ireland that were to accompany the King of Spain to Lisbon. Secondly, a great fleet of victuallers, tenders, store-ships, and transports, which lay ready for the same voyage, together with about forty merchant ships, who lay for the benefit of their convoy. And the third article was the remainder of the grand fleet, which came in with Sir Cloudsley Shovel, in all almost three hundred sail, great and small. In Plymouth Sound, Falmouth, and Milford Havens were, particularly, several small fleets of merchant ships, driven in for shelter and harbour from the storm, most homeward bound from the islands and colonies of America. The Virginia fleet, Barbados fleet, and some East India men lay scattered in all our ports, and in Kinsale in Ireland there lay near eighty sail, homeward bound and richly laden. At Bristol about twenty sail of home-bound West India men, not yet unladen. 
In Holland, the fleet of transports for Lisbon waited for the King of Spain, and several English men-of-war lay at Halvoet Sluice. The Dutch fleet from the Texel lay off Cadsent, with their forces on board, under the Admiral Collenberge. Both these fleets made a hundred and eighty sail. I think I may very safely affirm that hardly in the memory of the oldest man living was a juncture of time when an accident of this nature could have happened that so much shipping, laden out and home, ever was in port at one time. No man will wonder that the damages of this nation were so great, if they considered these unhappy circumstances. It should rather be wondered at that we have no more disasters to account to posterity, but that the navigation of this country came off so well. And therefore some people have excused the extravagancies of the Paris Gazetteer, who affirmed in print that there was thirty thousand seamen lost in the several ports of England, and three hundred sail of ships, which they say was a probable conjecture, and that considering the multitude of shipping, the openness of the roads in the Downs, Yarmouth, and the Nor, and the prodigious fury of the wind, any man would have guessed the same as he. Tis certain it is a wonderful thing to consider that, especially in the Downs and Yarmouth roads, anything should be safe. All men that know how wild a road the first is, and what crowds of ships there lay in the last, how almost everything quitted the road, and neither anchor nor cable would hold, must wonder what shift or what course the mariners could direct themselves to for safety. Some which had not a mast standing, nor an anchor or cable left them, went out to sea wherever the winds drove them, and lying like a trow in the water, wallowed about till the winds abated, and after were driven some into one port, some into another as providence guided them. In short, horror and confusion seized upon all, whether on shore or at sea. No pen can describe it, no tongue can express it, no thought conceive it, unless some of those who were in the extremity of it, and who being touched with a due sense of the sparing mercy of their Maker, retained the deep impressions of His goodness upon their minds, though the danger be past, and of those I doubt the number is but few. End of the Conclusion of Chapter 4